There's no business like show business. From actors, writers, directors, and behind-the-scenes crew, everyone loves being part of the biz, and everybody loves those Hollywood stories. My name is Bob McCullough. I'm married to Suzanne Herrera McCullough, and between the two of us, we've got over 200 hours writing, producing, directing, or acting in some of the most classic television series and movies of all time. We've had pretty high-profile careers working with a wide range of celebrity talent and helping beginners get their start in the business, so people have always told us we should write a book. Well, we think getting our story out this way could be a lot more fun, so let's jump in. Chicken joke! I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. Build him. We have the technology. Nanu, Nanu. Baby, you're the great. Here comes the judge. More cowbell. That fashion. There's anything wrong with that? And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business, like no business I know. This is where Hollywood Hides podcast number 12. And my name is Bob McCullough. And you are. Suzanne Herrera McCullough. She's the cute one. And today we're talking to Suzanne about her acting career. In uh, podcast number 11, Yippee. we talked about how she, we talked about how Suzanne transitioned from being a production secretary at Universal City Studios to winding up in front of the camera. And you even went further than that and became a real actress. I'm so tired of talking about myself. But you're good at it. Yeah, so, sure. So tell us how you got your first speaking part. Well, as I said in podcast number 11, I'll make this short. I was a Lava Lava girl, one of eight girls that would greet the airplane. When on, they fantasy, came, on Fantasy Island. came on Fantasy Island. There was a couple lines of dialogue for a Lava Lava girl. I happened to have gotten picked by the director, and I did my lines. I was very honored, and I got the opportunity to purchase my SAG card. You have 30 days after your first speaking role to join. I collected the money. I think I borrowed some money from my parents and I joined the SAG. I went back to the Lava Lava Girl job that I had on a daily basis. The Lava Lava Girls were no longer talking to me because I had been the chosen one. My life had changed in their opinion and they were very upset that I had gotten picked. I'm sure they thought, you know, I had a relationship with the directors. You know, they, they think all sorts of things. I soon realized that I needed to not do the SEG job anymore. No more atmosphere work for me. And I hung that card up and I decided to be a real actor. So I was taking acting classes, uh, as many as I could afford. I sent resumes out. I got professional pictures taken by the great buddy Rosenberg. I sent out resumes, about 200 I remember I sent out. I literally only got 20 responses. And out of those, I interviewed and I picked the agents that I thought would Help me. I picked an agent for commercials, an agent for theater, which meant movie and TV. And then I went ahead and I started auditioning, which was a big eye opener because my first audition was um, six lines, tight clothes, and high heels. I think it was a lady of the street kind of role. A hooker. A hooker. And I walked into this audition and there were 20 ladies that looked 
just like me. They were like clones. All the sisters you never had. Right. And that's called typecasting, right? Well, casting by type, yeah. yeah. Right. Producers can fill a room up with people who are almost identical twins because they want a certain look, and that's exactly what they ask for, and that's what they get. So that was kind of an eye-opener. I didn't feel that special anymore. Up until that point, you know, I was on top of the world. You were the prom queen everywhere you went. I was climbing high, (laughs) you know. So I went in and I auditioned, and I thought I did well. And the next day, my agent said I did not get the part. That was really hard. Were you, um, was that like, were you upset? Was it depressing? Was it? Yes, yes. All the above? Yes. <laughs> I mean, did you expect to get every single job because you, you had gotten the one so far? Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I knew there was a few I wouldn't get, but I didn't think, I, I, I don't know what I thought. I was young, you know. I you, was had, young. you had very high expectations. Yes, yes, very high, very high. So that was the, my first uh, awakening to how tough the business is going to be. I went on many, many auditions. I can tell you for every 20 auditions, I might get one part. Basically because I was um, a certain type and there weren't that many roles for the exotic look. The other part is some of the actresses were better than I was. So I was trying to study as hard as I could. So I decided to go for the best acting schools possible. And I uh, got my way into the famous Lee Strasberg acting class. Uh, He is really well known for his part in The Godfather. He had an acting studio um, in New York where all of a lot of the great actors came from. Uh, Some of them were Anne Bancroft. She was, uh, I think her one of her biggest movies was uh, The Graduate. She was Mrs. Robinson. Dustin Hoffman. He went to uh, Lee Strasberg. Marilyn Monroe, um, Paul Newman, Bob De Niro, they all came from Lee Strasberg. And then he opened an acting class in Hollywood, and I auditioned and got in. And it was uh, very method. I remember I was going to do a role as a hooker. Again. Again. (laughs) See, I'm typecast. (laughs) And he wanted me to really embrace the role, as he put it. And he would instruct us on what to do with our craft and he wanted me to go out on the street in Hollywood Boulevard at night at night to dress like a hooker and to really feel what it's like to be a hooker and of course people would approach you and yes it could be dangerous and that was part of the feeling of being dangerous wow and I remember I was scared to death so I took a few of my classmates with me and it ended up being fun I did not last long because it was too scary I got a lot of inquiries. Really? As a oh, hooker? Yes. Oh, oh, oh yes. Okay. yes. So you must have been good. You, I guess. You were a good method actor. So that was method. And then um, I remember we did have a guest speaker that night, and it was one of his students from New York, and it was Diane Keaton, who was very young and very quirky, I remember. And I think this was right before The Godfather or right after the first Godfather. So they were both in that movie. Yeah. Well, he, he was in Godfather 2, I think. Oh, I and think she right. was in both Godfathers. Right. But she was already on her way up. She was also dating Al Pacino at the time because he came by to pick her up. I remember oh, him. Really? I didn't really know who he was at the time, but he was uh, a lot shorter than she was. I remember that. Well, yeah, it's funny how a lot of actors are smaller than we think. So then I did that, and then I saved my money up again to go to another acting class of sort called the Groundlings Improvisational School, and it had just started two years prior. The Groundlings was improvisational, which meant they would throw an idea out at you, and you would have to 
act upon it immediately. You really didn't have time to study for it. Like they didn't give you a script. It was just... So you had to really be quick. Quick. And I was not that quick. I remember... Well, um, you, were, you were method. That's why. <laughs> yeah, I was method or something. <laughs> I, I remember looking around and realizing that all these actors were very different from what I was. I mean, think of, you know, Saturday Night Live. Think of those actors. Am I anything like that? No, not really. No, not really. no. I remember you would work on a skit for the whole week and then you would perform it on the weekends. People, agents and other actors used to come and watch. And you remember Lily Tomlin. Sure. She had a TV show at the time and uh, she would come on the weekends to watch the performers and she would hire some of those actors to be in her show which wow. was really great. So the showcase was almost like an audition. Right. But I I only lasted for about six weeks because they, they would say things like, okay, everybody, this is a kitchen setting. You are a toaster. You are the kitchen table. You are the chair. And you are the broom. Now, how would they act and what would they say if they could talk? Go for it. With no rehearsal or just... Well, for one thing, it was the ridiculous. No scripts or anything like no, that. No, no. It no. was the ridiculous in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I was embarrassed and I didn't know what to do. So I knew right away. And these people, these actors were just going for it. They were great. I mean, they were really good at what they were doing. I was not. So I soon realized my limitations. So I started getting parts. Like I said, for every 20 auditions, I would get one. My first Real audition I was so excited about. My agent called me and said, I have a perfect role for you. You can dance, right? I said, of course. You've been taking dance classes, it says on your resume. Of course. Well, your well, resume probably said a lot of things. I, exactly. You know, that that's what you do. I learned that. The truth is, I was a disco queen. Every night I used to go out, but I was not a professional dancer. And this movie that I was auditioning for was Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Real dancing. Real dancing. A real. He said, by the way, it's a musical. Okay. Perfect. You like music. Right. I like to dance. And the role that you're going to be trying out for is called Cha-Cha. She played the best dancer in um, Rydell High. And Cha-Cha and, was from another high school. She, right, right. And I remember what the line was because um, I had to read it. The line was, they call me Chacha because I'm the best dancer at St. Bernadette's. Uh-huh. And she was the, like the previous girlfriend to Danny, the John Travolta character. Okay. So I show up, a huge stage, and there must have been 50 girls, again, who looked just like me. But these were professional dancers, you could tell. They had the little heels with the leotards, and they were stretching and putting their legs up high. And such contortions, you know, twirling around. And I really realized, OMG, I am so out of my league here. So I said, okay, we'll see how far I, I get. So uh, there's 50 of us about, and they line us up, and they have us turn around and walk. And then they have us read the line. And I made, I make the first cut. They let go 10, and I was in the 40 now. But you hadn't danced yet. Not yet, not yet. And then we did a few dance steps. There was like this gorgeous woman, black woman that showed up that was a professional dancer in her 40s and started doing some dance moves. Pretty simple. We did that. And then I made the next cut. It was down to 30. Wow. And in between, we we had a break. Who walks in and says, hi, it's John Travolta. Oh, doing this, like the celebrity wave? Well, he had these really tight pants on. I think he was rehearsing already. And my God, he looked good. <laughs> he, he really looked like a star. Well, he was the star. Yeah, he was. So that was fun to see. And then we started the real dance moves. So the, the crowd has been cut down by, by half. Almost half. Okay. Did you ever see the I Love Lucy episodes at all? Sure. 
And there was a scene there, you know, she's always trying to be in show business on her husband's show. And she was trying to be a ballet dancer or something like that. And she was trying to fake it. And it was a joke. That was me. That's how you felt. No, no. That's how I felt. And that's how I looked. We started doing these (laughs) dance moves. And I, for the life of me, could not do it. It was a joke. And I did not make the third cut. You didn't make that cut. No. But you didn't fall down or sprain your ankle. No, 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 no. And it was a lot of fun. And I was all sweaty, like a real dancer. (laughs) I got to see John Travolta. But I I must say, I I think that takes a lot of courage. I mean, you, you had that chutzpah that it takes to become an actor. I mean, you were willing to try anything. Sure, sure. A it lot was of fun. People, a lot of people just would have freaked out and said, oh, I can't do this and walked out. You know? So then I decided I needed to take dancing lessons. Okay. So I was so broke because I was spending so much money on all these lessons. Meanwhile, I was doing quite a few hand inserts. That kind of picked up for me. So that was more money than the usual SAT. So ex- explain what hand inserts are again for anybody that hand might Hand inserts are, for example, basically I did commercials. You see someone drinking a cup of coffee, a young woman, and they may like the way she looks, but they didn't like her hands. So they call somebody like me and with decent looking hands to hold up the cup of coffee as they're filming. So like in a close-up, that close would, up, that would close be your up. hand. Exactly. Or hand over somebody's shoulder or a hand, you know, scratching your head. That's a pretty cool job. It is a cool job. It really is. And it pays really well. So I was supporting myself on some hand inserts in those days. You didn't even have to wash your hair for that kind of job. Right. You just showed up. Very cool. And then the next, and then there was quite a few more auditions that I didn't get. And I was starting to feel a little depressed. Because in order to get up for these interviews, you have to look the part, whatever it is, put the makeup on, go in, you have to be your best, you have to try and stand out. And different girls did different things to stand out, some pretty crazy. So my next role that I got was a movie, a big, I think a two-part movie called Helter Skelter, a story about Manson. Charles Manson. Charles Manson, the killer, mm-hmm. the mass murderer. Right. Right. They, that, that starred Stephen Railsbeck, that movie. And he, he really looked the part. It was one scary set to be on, and it was... The scene I was in was in a courtroom scene where uh, Charles Manson and his followers, his female followers, were being tried. And I got cast as a guard, and they put lots of padding on me and put my hair up. So, so they took this beautiful 5'8", slender woman and made her into this big, beefy prison guard. Right. I looked horrible, but, wow. but, but it was a job. And it was a very physical job because these actresses that played his followers had to physically try and get away from me every time I brought him in and brought him out of court. And it was hard. I had to restrain him. And it was it was a lot of work. It so was a you, lot so of work. So you were like kind of the bully. I was. The, okay. I was. I was like a man. Funny. And the interesting part about the set, though, is the set had gotten so many threats from his followers. From the real followers. From the real followers that they put extra security on all the doors. That was kind of scary. So they would actually walk me to my car. They would um, have all of us go through the back door. Well, that's intense. It, it got to the point where I was doubting why I should even be on the set. Yeah, that's pretty intense. It was kind of dangerous. Yeah. You know, a few weeks later, I got cast uh, Where the Buffalo Roam. It was a story about Hunter Thompson, right. the crazy author. Mm-hmm. And uh, Art Linson, who was a director at the time cast me and i remember i was girl number two that was um that was your name that was my name Mm -hmm. and i guess apparently hunter 
Thompson had a lot of girlfriends. Uh, every night, probably. Yeah, and I was one of those. So who, uh, Bill Murray was in that movie. The great Bill Murray and Peter Boyle. That must have been crazy. Yeah, it was really crazy. It was a crazy set, to be honest with you. It was a scene in his bedroom. There was no sex acts or anything, but I was dressed pretty skimpy. And uh, thank goodness my role and my lines were dropped. They were on the cutting room floor. Ah. But it was a good paying job. And I... So, but you never made it to the big screen on that never one. Never made it to the big screen. So, so what was Bill Murray like to work with? He was very quiet and mischievous. Oh, yeah. My quick Bill Murray story, we went to uh, Hamptons one night for an early dinner. Hamptons and, was like our favorite hamburger place. Right, the big hamburger place in Toluca Lake right near Burbank Studios. And uh, I went to the restroom, and there was a guy in the restroom, very small, like almost like being in a boat, tiny little bathroom. And there was a guy in his underwear... And he's changing clothes, and he's he pulls his shirt uh, over his head, and it's Bill Murray. And I, he said something insane to me, like, oh, don't mind me. I also have pants. Yeah, that, that's Bill Murray. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he's, he's not far from the characters that he plays. A little off the wall. Very off the wall. And he kept us in stitches, and we hung out, and we had lunch. He was very flirty. But I did realize that I could do scenes where they were kind of sexual and not feel weird about it. It was acting. That's pretty, again, you know? I pretty, mean, pretty gutsy I mean, there, for a there girl was, from Catholic school. Well, there was no sexual act. What I'm saying, it was kissing, you know, leading up to maybe a sex act that never happened. But, you know. And they cut that? Oh, man. Yeah, thank goodness. Thank God. Oh, man, because I'd it, like to see that. Well, you know, with the internet nowadays. I would like to yeah. see that. Yeah, well, you're not, never going to see saw, it. You know, I never saw that footage. Well, that's good. That's good. <laughs> so I realized that I could do that with a straight face. And they cut a, you know, made, you know, usually there's 70, 80 crew members there. And what I re- remember saying, the director came up to me and said, are you going to feel uncomfortable, you know, pretending to get intimate on the scene? You know, we can clear the set. I said, yeah, clear the set. And what they did is they basically just left the skeleton crew and they left every, everybody else outside. And I learned that you could do that. Not, oh, wow. not for everybody, but, you know. You're gutsy. Yeah, well, I was an actor. What can I say? And then I was on... International Airport. You wrote it. Right. And I played, do you remember? Uh, you played a stewardess. A screaming stewardess. My name was Jill in oh, the movie. Okay. All right. But you know, you weren't described as a screaming stewardess in the script. No, but the role was, the plane was going down. I was seating people. I was talking to people. I was talking to the pilot when something happened. And all of a sudden, the plane takes a nosedive. And I get... Well, I'm screaming at the people in the plane to sit down, and I hate flying in real life, so that wasn't very much acting for me. So I would be the, screaming. So it was the part of your method acting? Yes, okay. yes. You, you were in the moment. Okay. But you know what? I did notice that you walked off the set right before I shot my scene. Well, I didn't want to inhibit you. But and that's I, always bothered me. But I didn't want you to think that, oh, he's looking, he's judging me. or I just didn't, I wanted you to have that freedom. Okay. I just want you to be really truthful just between you and I. And 100,000 people listening to this. Yeah. Were you not embarrassed by my acting? No, not at all. No, never. I was not embarrassed at all. I just wanted you not to have to deal with me being there. Well, I I would have wanted it the other way. So I misread the whole situation. Okay, yes. well, that happens. That's why I'd never made it, Bob. Oh, I was okay. so oh, oh. depressed. That's why you're only almost, almost famous. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay. That's right.
Anyway, that that was a fun show to work on because you had a lot of guest stars. Yeah, a lot. Bill Bixby was on that. Right. And George I rem- Kennedy. And I remember Bill Bixby coming up to me to show you what a nice guy he is and saying, hey, I remember you from The Incredible Hulk. Wow. And he said, you're, you're an actress now. And I said, yeah, I'm trying to be. But he was so nice. He was a really nice guy. You know, they, they misspelled my name. That's on bizarre. That show. That's bizarre. Didn't you catch that? I guess I was so busy writing the next project that I'd never look back at like how they spelled anybody's names in the credits. It wasn't really my department. My department was selling another show. So then I went on, went on and uh, auditioned again and learned a lot. And I got a little tiny role in W.C. Fields and Me. And Valerie Perrine was in that. She played, uh, I think, one of his girlfriends or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but I made very good friends with her stand-in. I'll call her Mary. Well, because that's her name. Right, but I, didn't, I don't want to go into her last name because okay. I don't like to talk about people unless I can really ask them. Okay. Um, and uh, Mary was a little older than I was, very, very savvy and very sophisticated. Uh, I remember she used to smoke a cigarette with a cigarette holder. You guys were kind of the same physical type, both tall oh, she had a great body, though. I mean, it was she had the perfect body, and she was very attractive. We ended up rooming together. We, we rented the ultimate Hollywood actress house, I remember, off of Coenga. And I remember having some of my friends help me move in, and, and my brothers. They were very taken by Mary and the way she looked. She always... Knew she, how to show off her well, like body. You, like you, she looked like somebody, yeah. So one day, Mary, after we moved in, it was a couple of weeks later, she came to me and said, I met this great guy. He's from New York. He's an actor. And he's out here, and he wants to have a cup of coffee. But he has a friend with him. How would you like to come with me and have like dinner and a cup of coffee or whatever it was? And oh, so she was like setting up a double date kind of thing. It was a blind date. A blind double date for you, yeah. And I said, I am not interested. I... You know, I didn't have a boyfriend at the time, but I was having a good time, and I was acting. What, at what point in your life did you not have a boyfriend? Come on. You had more boyfriends than there you are in Hollywood. That. You don't know that. So I you was, were, It was awfully hard to get you on the phone. So I was acting and taking acting lessons and auditioning. I was really busy. So she begged me, said, please just come for a little bit. I really like this guy. So I said, okay, fine, but... I'm not going home with him. I'm not doing anything like that. I just want to get this over and done with. It's going to be two Hollywood girls out for a Hollywood night. Two New York actors meeting two L.A. actresses. That's how she saw it. So I went, and we ended up in some steakhouse on Coenga. And I remember meeting her date. His name was Bob. He was very, very thin and very serious. Well, and, intense New York actor, right? Right. And that's what was so intriguing about him, I guess, for Mary. And then my date was very short, kind of an obnoxious guy who wouldn't stop talking. And he was just the, this, oppo- the opposite of her date. He couldn't stop talking. And I guess he would have been kind of cute, but he just was so obnoxious. So we sat there and we had dinner and it was time to go. And I went home. Thank God I took my own car. Oh, so you didn't have like the awkward moment at your door where he drops you off? No, I thing. said, I have to go. I have an audition the next morning. That was a good out. Sounds like a scene out of Goodfellas almost, doesn't right. it? Right. And so years later, what I, I discovered was those two young men were Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci. That's a good Hollywood story. So that was kind of fun. And then after that, I had an audition for a soap opera. The soap opera was Ryan's Hope. The big time. Apparently, they were casting in New York, and they sometimes, I heard, would come out to California to see 
if they wanted to audition anybody here. So my agent called and said that there was an audition at uh, ABC and for me to go in there. And so I, he said, just to dress normally, whatever that meant. I forgot what I wore. So you didn't wear your hooker outfit. Right. It was not a hooker role. It was, he said, a small continuing role and it was limited, but it was a contract so they didn't tell you what the character was or anything? Not at the time. Not so I walked in there, and there was quite a few of me in there again. Uh-huh. They gave me some pages from a script to read, which are called sides. And we all would find our own little corners. And you would have either five minutes to 15 minutes to go over and try and memorize the lines. And there weren't that many, I remember. There was about six or seven lines. So when, they came, when you had an audition like that and they gave you sides, they expected you to expected you to know the dialogue when you went in back in to read? Well, sometimes in other auditions, you could take the the sides with you Uh and kind of glance at them and then look at the casting directors and do the dialogue with him. Some people who are really quick studies, they don't read the dialogue from the paper. They have it memorized. So did you, are you a quick study? Did you have it memorized when you went back in? I had it pretty memorized because I knew by that time after several years of acting, that went a long way. Especially for soap operas where every day they, the actors are getting a new script and they have to be ready yeah. to rock so, all So um, I auditioned and I felt pretty good about it. I went home. The next day my agent called and said that I um, must have made a good impression because they want to see me again. So I went back in, and there were a few girls there, not that many, and I read some other part, some other lines, and went home, and my agent called me again, and he said, well, they must have liked you because you're one of two girls. Wow, so you made the cut twice. Yes, yes. And so I got really nervous at that point. I started thinking, gee, this is in New York, and you and I had just gotten married. Right. So I know you and I had a little, little bit of a conversation, dialogue. You said... Well, if it's New York, it's New York. We can see each other on the weekends. And I said, yeah, we can. That's not what I said. What I said was, you can go to New York and be an actress, or you can be here and be married. I don't remember that. That was That's exactly what I said. I don't said. think you said it at that time. Well, anyway, so I, I went back. I auditioned again, and I got the role. So when I got the call from my agent, I was very excited. And I remember that they wanted me in, in New York so what in was two the, weeks. So what was the character? The character was a nurse, like a nurse ratchet, I think. Oh, 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 and a villain nurse. A villain nurse in a hospital setting. You're, so you're like killing people in the I'm hospital I'm sure or they had something like that. So I went from a hooker to a bad nurse. Okay. I remember my agent said, uh, come in on Monday and come and sign the contract. I remember I had the weekend to think about it, and you and I had a conversation. You had just been signed to a contract at Universal Studios, I remember, and that was exciting. Your career was starting just, to take off. Just starting, right? And I was going to be in New York. And my career was really on its way. I remembered I was very conflicted because I really wanted to go, but then I really wanted to stay. And talked about being seeing each other on the weekends and flying to New York and back. I remember the pay was not great. Right. It was I th- good, I thought but not great. I, I thought we did the math and we figured out the airfare was going to eat up your salary. But that's there isn't an actress in the world that wouldn't have taken this role because it was a good in those days soap operas were huge so i remember we thought long and hard about it we had many long conversations and then i talked to my mom i remember about it and she said well if you want to stay married you shouldn't go deep down inside what did your agent say when you said uh i don't think i'm gonna do this role he was not happy it's a a difficult thing for an agent because they work pretty hard to even get you the interviews so i said i decided i just got married i want to stay around 
I don't mind flying to New York for a limited time on a show, but this could be easily six months to a year. And the average actress, I think, probably would have gotten rid of the husband and gone back to New York. Oh, absolutely. Because it, to really succeed, don't you kind of need to put everything aside and just focus on the career? Oh, sure, sure. Now, if I wasn't married, it would have been really different. It would have been fun. Hey, Bob De Niro and I could have hung out. That's right. Then I uh, went ahead and did some Falcon Crest. That was a show you worked on. I remember that well. You did a great two job. Two or three uh, shows. You, gave me some speaking roles. You, uh, you and Lorenzo Lamas yeah, were a couple. He, he was a cutie. Right. He was cute. And it was fun working on the set, although I got treated very special because you were the producer. Yeah, that really? was fun. Do you think that people treated you differently because, oh, yes. oh, because yes. they, they knew how you... That we well, they were... knew that you, you would just write them out of the script. Oh, that's true. If you were mean to, if they were mean to me. That's true. That's true. I, I do remember that Mel Ferrer kind of became your... Uh, your chaperone on the set. Like my guard. Yeah, yeah. Mel yeah, was following great. me around and, everywhere. Right. Making sure you were comfortable and Right. And he was much older and kind fun of times, took fun you under times. his wing. Exactly. Yeah. He was a nice man. And then I did high tide. I started <clears throat> having kids and then we went to New Zealand and had a guest part in, Yeah, you had a big part in that high, in high tide, tide episode. Yeah. And uh, that was fun. And I must tell you, I don't think anybody realizes just how hard all of the actors and actresses that don't become famous work. Uh, we're talking about the extras and the background and what they call atmosphere, the day players, the guest stars. You know, they are all the anonymous um, hotel clerks that you see, the jurors in courthouses, the store patrons, you know, all the people who populate the TV shows and the movies. The TV and motion pictures would not be successful without all these people. Yet we never know the names. So I want to give a shout out to all the hundreds of thousands of actors well, that nice. never get known that work just as hard. It's just such a few that make it. I mean, But what you're saying is that the bit players, without bit and day players, the one-line actors. Well, Picture is one of my favorite movies, one of the Jason Bourne movies. In those intense scenes in all the different countries of all the people in the background, just picture if none of those were there. It was just Matt Damon being chased by this bad guy. It, it wouldn't be realistic. Right, there'd be no real tension. No and these drama. people all work very hard. So before we wrap it up today, Suzanne, after your career, what advice would you give to any aspiring actress? Well, first of all, I'm not too fond of recommending that children become actors, basically, because historically they do not do well as adults. So I won't even deal with that's when you should start acting. Right out of high school is probably a good idea. I'm just talking female-wise. I think a female has a very limited amount of time to really make a name for herself. It's a very youth-oriented business. You have even said, and I agree, if you haven't really made a household name for yourself by the time you're 30, your career is not going to be great. Therefore, you're not going to get enough roles. Therefore, you can't support yourself. So right out of high school is probably a really good idea. You can be in theater plays and stuff in school, but right out of high school, start getting acting lessons, get yourself an agent, try to go to plays, be in plays, go to as many auditions as possible. But there's two things that are really out of your control, in my opinion. The camera really has to like you. I think it has something to do with the angles of your face. It has nothing to do with beauty, necessarily. It just means if the camera likes you, that means when people see you, there's something about you. For example, why is Jennifer Lawrence, who just won the Academy Award, why do people love seeing her? She's not the most beautiful woman in the world. There's something about her. And she's also a good actress. 
Another element that's out of your control is luck. Luck is a huge part in this business. This business is not for the weak. The rejection is unbearable at times, over the top. You have to prop yourself back up. And if you can't, you're going to be in deep depression. How did you handle that? I mean, you were very brave, I think, to try the, all the things you tried. I was depressed and, and not happy, but I bounced back. That's just my personality. It was okay. Just put your head down and keep going. Oh, in terms of being prepared, just everything you can to learn about your craft, be around the business, be around the people in the business, be smart about who you talk to in the business, and be careful for the producers that promise you everything and give you nothing. Well, that's, that's really good advice. Yeah. But but luck is a huge factor. Yes, yes. Well, thanks for sharing all that. I'm I, so glad this is over. Well, but I think it's very instructive to people who might want to consider being becoming an actor uh, to understand that it can be very frustrating and that luck can uh, you, you need a lot of combina- a combination of a lot of things. You know what I was thinking about the other day that if it wasn't for Kmart, that's where it all started for me. That I would have never never met you. That's true. And we would have never. Gotten yeah. together. And you never would have been almost, almost famous. That's right. That's right. So, again, thanks for sharing and opening up a little bit. This is Where Hollywood Hides. We sure hope everybody goes to the web, the website, wherehollywoodhides.com. You'll see uh, pictures of Suzanne as a lava lava girl. And oh, her, boy. And her credits. And if I can find some clips, we'll put those in there, too. And when you do go to our website, please click on the Amazon.com links. Do your shopping through our website, and it helps support the podcast. From Where Hollywood Hides, this is Bob McCullough. And this is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Bye. From Chiller Coffees and Paducas With their bazookas To get their names up in lies All armed with photos From local rotos With their hair in ribbons And legs in tights Hooray for Hollywood You have no way of knowing who Another Papa Dion, your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his five. Hooray for Hollywood! Hooray for Hollywood!